Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The word of the Lord. morning. I doubt I'll be able to stay seated this whole time. This is different for me. Coach throwing me a curveball using a stool. Um, if you have your Bibles, I might you leave them open to that Philippians 2 chapter. Uh, what was just read is actually not our sermon text, but I did want it read. That was more for context sake. We're going to look at the, the next several verses that follow it. Um, we're one week removed from Easter Sunday, which is a big deal. Um, the hope of Christians everywhere uh, really does rise and fall with the historical events of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth, this thing actually happening in time and space on the earth. And that event is everything that we hold dear, that everything that our faith professes, our lives to be lived in light of, comes out of that. And that Philippians 2 passage we just read somewhat gives us a glimpse of that, of Jesus' humiliation, the Son of God coming down to earth, entering into the womb of the Virgin Mary, taking on human flesh in every sense of the word except for sin, then his crucifixion for us and for our sin. That Philippians 2 passage mentions Jesus being exalted, and in his resurrection he's vindicated this is who he said he was, he is the Son of God then ultimately exalted the right hand of the Father where he rules and reigns over heaven and earth. This is who God is. We say our God reigns. That's really good news. Now what? Or so what? In light of this wonderful news, how should we respond? The Bible is full of appropriate texts that give you some glimpse. And well, this would be an appropriate text or appropriate thing to do in light of these truths. And so if you open your Bible, leave it on Philippians chapter 2, Paul, again, he's writing this letter from prison. So in light of this glorious news of the exaltation of the Son of God, that every knee is going to bow before him on heaven and on earth and under the earth, what then? Start in verse 12, you can stay seated. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. 
Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him, the Lord, with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do now ask that you would bless the reading and preaching of your word. We know that our work is in vain if your spirit is not present. So we ask that he too would just bless everything that we consider this morning, that we would be more like Jesus as individuals and as a body, because we have heard from you and sat under your instruction. Would you cause us to repent and rebuke us where appropriate? Would you also encourage and edify your people, building us up in the faith, that your kingdom would continue to advance the world over through the work of your church? I ask that the words in my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you didn't catch it again, my name is John Tomberlin. It's good to be with you. Hutch is a friend of mine. Um, I'm usually like the fourth or fifth guy he calls. You're getting at the B team this morning. So sorry the other guys couldn't step up, but uh, here we are. Um, Some of you might know that song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I know I used to sing it as a kid, but I don't recall how it goes. That's the only part I remember. That is a song, right? People still sing that? Um, I feel like that's a catchy song for lots of reasons. One, uh, shining actually works. Like shiny things tend to attract our attention. That could be from the crazy lights of Las Vegas or the sparkle of really fancy jewelry. Maybe some of you uh, marine people, y'all seen the anglerfish, those crazy fish that have lights on their heads that will like grab fish in the pitch black of like the deep ocean. Um, maybe those old school bug zappers from the old blue lights they used to zap bugs outside. They still use those at all. But like just the moth drawn to a flame, these bugs being attracted to a light just to meet their end. Uh, my kids are always fascinated by lightning flashes or uh, shooting stars. Just, just that shine seems to really, really... Um, attract our attention. I do think this idea of shining as a church, of shining as Christians is really appropriate. It's actually a really deep idea in scripture as far as us reflecting the glory of God. 
and let the nations actually be drawn to that uh, brightness, uh, to that light. This is a really um, important thing that I think the church should embrace the world over as far as how we live our lives in light of, again, the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Now, when it comes to the Christian life, I'm going to change metaphors for just a minute. Um, some of my buddies were actually pilots growing up, helicopter pilots, and I've heard when you're landing a plane, they have to keep your eye on two things. You're supposed to keep your eye on the horizon, like you don't want that to go too far up or down, or the plane or helicopter is getting really out of whack. That would be Jesus, the historical crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. We always want to keep him before us. But you're also, your controls really matter. Like we're checking air pressure, how's the landing gear doing? You have a lot of little buttons and lights to keep your eyes on. Those things really matter too. That would be the scriptures. Every jot and tittle matters. Every word and sentence matter that testify to this Jesus. So you want to keep your eyes on both. I think we're to keep our head on a swivel of sorts to consider Jesus and look at the controls before us. Well, this morning, we have a little control watching before us. Uh, the text that we just read, 12 through uh, the end of the chapter, I mean, this is what some people might call the minutia, but this really is getting into the therefore part of Scripture. If you noticed in that verse 12, therefore, here's how we ought to live in light of Jesus, in light of the Son's exaltation, that every knee is going to bow. How should we live in light of those things? And this is exactly what we're after. What sort of life of the church should flow out of the confidence and celebration of Jesus' crucifixion, resurrection, and exaltation. So let's go through this starting in verse 12, okay? So you have your Bibles open. If you look in 12 and 13, you'll notice a few things. How about this? Paul exhorts the church to obey even more in his absence. You might have heard the expression, when the cat's away, the mice come out to play. Well, Hutch has been gone all week. How have you been doing in his absence? It's going to come back to a good report or bad report. So even the church 2,000 years ago would be tempted to really slack off and be like, I guess it doesn't matter now that our leader's gone. Paul would say, let that not be so. Do this even much more in my absence. Let me know that my word has actually stuck when I'm not here. The best mark of a good manager is how, the, how does the place run when you're actually not there. Paul really wants to be vindicated here. That as I'm away, I really want you to keep at it. That's what we've been going after. So Paul does not want them to slack off. On the contrary, what he wants them to do is to work out their salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Um, the grace of God is never meant to make us apathetic or lazy. Okay, These two things are like uh, not in lockstep. When God's grace is at work in you, it actually causes us to work. Not to merit favor, not to earn salvation, but when we're actually enamored by what God has done, we find ourselves actually wanting to make an effort. So to put the mirror up in front of yourself and to say, well, like how, how have I done? Am I following Jesus well? I do not think Paul is after um, you freaking out to see if you're in the faith or not, or to praying harder and harder. Do I really, really believe navel gazing? I don't think that's what he's after at all. But I do think he's after sober reflection. Am I following Jesus what does my life look like? Do I struggle with sin? All those are signs of life. If you give any thought to what Jesus thinks of how you're living or the ways in which you're walking, are these befitting of a baptized disciple of Jesus? If you think about those things, if you're convicted by your sin, that's a sign of life. 
you should keep in that trajectory on that path. That's a good path. That's exactly what Paul wants. And as you do that, he simply acknowledges that's God at work in you. That's God's actually delighting his good pleasure as you do that. And then verses 14 and 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. You ever think about how mundane some of these commands are of Paul? The scriptures are full of these. He'll go from these massive doxological statements, oh, the depths and riches, the knowledge of God. Hey, by the way, husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Often the bigness of the gospel is very, very often worked out in very, very small ways. This is one of the patterns of the Christian life. If this thing is true, then how are you doing here? And trust me, as a pastor, I'm a pastor at North Shore Fellowship, I am very thankful for members that do things without grumbling or disputing. And I promise you, Hutch did not ask me to preach this sermon. I know we've already hit two things. Hutch is out of town, and I've already mentioned him once. He really didn't. This is, <laughs> this is my own. But we're very thankful when people actually do um, embrace the mundane, how important this is, without grumbling or disputing. This whole, among whom you shine as lights in the world, that's that shine image we're going to come back to at the end of this, okay? So just hold that thought. And then verses 16 through 18, what are we doing here? Holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I, not, that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul knows that there are eternal consequences for what he's doing. He is getting out, planting churches, writing letters, spreading the gospel the world over as he knows it. And he wants these believers to persevere. He wants them to hold fast to the good news of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. And as they do so, as they persevere, he knows that a day of reckoning is coming. We're like, Jesus will return, judgment will be had, and he wants to know that indeed his labor was not in vain, because they will actually stand that fire by trial. The work that Paul and us are involved in, as mundane as it may seem, as persevering, holding fast to the gospel in which we started, it does have eternal consequence. And even from prison, Paul is like, you can rejoice with me, be glad with me. This is not happening apart from God's very plan. So even rejoicing is possible in prison chains. Okay, so those 12 through 18, I think that's pretty straightforward as far as Paul is just exhorting them to certain things. When we get to 19 to 30, this is where it gets kind of fun. How about this? These are a few commentators. Verses 19 to 30 contain no direct teaching. Another writer. These are tiresome details once disposed of give way to the joy of the letter. (laughs) These are not ringing endorsements. These are some of those verses in the Bible that often get overlooked and think, why are these in here? What point do they serve? I disagree with those commentators. I think there's actually plenty of stuff good here. And the reason why I think there's some good stuff in these 11 verses is um, I'm not an engineering mind at all. Like when I get anything, pick from a store, if it's put it together yourself, my wife tends to order these all the time. If it's from Ikea, if it's from Wayfair, I've got to put together this bookshelf for a kid's desk. This is a very painful exercise for me all the time. Like, I really wish I could read the instructions and just, that makes total sense. 
that picture, that's obviously what this is after here. I can't do it. I don't have a mechanical mind at all. It's awful. But I can, what I can do is if I do it with someone and get in there like who knows what they're doing, I actually can pick it up watching and doing. I need something really, really tangible like to ground this. Does that make sense? I can't just look at the pictures. I can't read an article. But like having a real tangible example, I can pick up on it okay. I think you actually have that. Just Timothy and Paul and Epaphroditus, you actually have some really concrete examples of, I think, shining of their love for one another, their love for the Philippians church, and actually living out what Paul has just got out. So consider, look in 19, verse 19. Paul wants to send Timothy to the, back to the Philippian church. I want to send Timothy to you so that I may be cheered. And listen to what he looked at in verse 20. Again, I have the wrong translation. I have the ESV. If you have another, I'm sorry. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You see what just happened there? If you were to go back and take a peek at chapter 1, don't turn there. Paul acknowledges there are other pastors preaching the gospel of Jesus, but some with bad motives some for selfish motives or ulterior ones or out of envy or strife and jealousy. He's probably referring back to those. So Paul could send one of those chumps back to the Philippian church. He could and probably get away with it. But who does he send? Who does he want to send? Timothy, the one that's most dear to Paul. The one that's the biggest help to Paul, that Paul says, I have no one like him that's actually concerned about Jesus Christ's own interests, which are the interests of the church, Paul wants to send Timothy back to them. So it's one, it's good news to say Jesus Christ cares for his church, that he actively takes care of it, and he does. You know how he does that? One of the ways is through you, through people. The church is the object and the instrument of Jesus Christ's blessing. We're the recipients of it. We're the instrument through which that blessing spreads. In Paul's case, in prison, Timothy is most dear to him, and that's the one he wants to send back, the one dearest to his heart. In this very act of Paul giving Timothy, they are wonderful examples of a life enamored with who Christ is and what he's done. Timothy's willingness to go, Paul's willingness to send him, they are seeking the welfare of the church of Jesus Christ in Philippi. Then you have this Epaphroditus guy, right? And look at the language here. My brother, fellow worker, and fellow, fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. So this guy goes to minister to Paul. He gets sick and almost dies. So here's a guy loving Paul in prison, making that trip to give him encouragement and blessing and gifts. He almost dies, and he's doing so, but he's getting back to health, and Paul rejoices at this man's example, nearly dying for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So what the Philippian church could not do, Epaphroditus goes. I think these three men and the church in Philippi are wonderful examples of shining, of loving one another. Some of you know I worked for a grocery store for about eight years. I was a meat cutter, so I like meat market uh, illustrations. Here's an example of what it doesn't look like of shining. Okay, this is a bad example. Some of you might have heard of the uh, Butterball Turkey Hotline. 
There was a hotline created, I think, back in the 80s or 90s. It was just to the tune of, hey, nobody knows how to cook a big turkey anymore. So we're going to set you up to answer the phone. Any questions that come in, you can walk them through how to cook a turkey. So when this started, I think there was like one lady working this phone. I think they were overrun by like thousands of calls the first day. Like we've seriously understated, you know, like um, this need for a turkey hotline. Do we know how to cook this? And so there's like a hall of fame of sorts over the years. There have been a lot of calls that like sort of made their way on the internet. Like here's some of the crazy calls we've got over the years. And one, uh, many years ago, this uh, older woman found a turkey in her deep freezer. It was uh, 20-something years old. So she calls the turkey hotline. Say, hey, found this turkey, 20 years old. Just wondering, can I still eat it? Is it safe to eat, et cetera? Apparently, the woman either on the other line had done some research or said, let me get back to you one second. Said, well, the answer was, if uh, your turkey has been frozen the whole time, it probably is safe to eat, but it probably won't taste very good. And the lady with the turkey says, yeah, that's what I thought too. I was just going to give it to the church. Yeah. That's not what we're supposed to be after here. <laughs> like giving the absolute dregs to one another. And this is not what Timothy, Paul, and Epaphroditus are doing. On the contrary, I would say it is tricky to summarize kind of the application of the gospel. But I think one way I would say the church is meant to be a community that says my life for yours to the watching world is what you have in Timothy, Paul, and Epaphroditus. Again, the notion of brother, co-worker, and soldier, again, I don't even have a brother. I have three sisters. We kind of get along, but the family doesn't always work for someone. But working in the meat business, I did have dear, dear friends that I was co-workers with because we understood what the uh, drudgery was like, getting up and working in a cold factory, pulling meat, pulling heavy boxes, cleaning bandsaws. Like, there's a real camaraderie there. Have you ever talked to two veterans that have served in the same battle? There's like a deep, deep bond there. This is what y'all are supposed to be like towards one another. Family and co-workers and fellow soldiers. And as we do that, as you actually do say, my life for yours, and you become more and more that type of community, I think you are shining to the watching world, to a dark world to a lonely world. This is where Jesus says, and again, he is not talking about a country, the United States or anywhere else. He's talking to his disciples. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. People don't put uh, light a lamp and put it under a basket. They put it on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. Do you see that? As the church shines and doing good work, the watching world is drawn to it and joins in the praise to God the Father. And I love what Jesus says explicitly in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. So church, whatever you think about the crumbling world around me, around you, or like how dangerous this world is, or how bleak it might look, whatever we should be doing, you cannot go wrong with this, okay? What should the church be doing? Just as I have loved you, you are also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. What attribute? How does the watching world know where are the disciples of Jesus? If you have love for one another. Doing that more and more, 
of loving one another as family, as co-workers, as fellow soldiers, like Epaphroditus visiting someone in prison, laying his life down, like Paul giving the most dear to him for the sake of the other Christians, that type, that's exactly what they're doing, and that is what y'all are called to do more and more. So you should take a look around at these faces when you, I know we're supposed to leave fairly quickly, but as you leave, I hope you don't treat one another as simply acquaintances, right? It's much deeper than that. Your family, your co-workers, your soldiers, together. Is that deep camaraderie there? And if not, that's okay. I think you're to foster that. As we do that, the watching world is drawn to the light and they join So Lord be with y'all, Lord be with me. Would God give us help to be that type of community born out of the crucifixion and resurrection and exaltation of his son. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do pray for help uh, to be this type of people. That you would help us to love one another all the more. That of all the different narratives and allegiances that fight for our ultimate allegiance, or different dreams we bought into of just being um, left alone, self-sustaining, pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps, I pray that this church would not be that, that they would lean on one another, that the various gifts you've given to every member here would be used for the sake of the other, and that they really would be a bright light to Trenton, and that others would come to know you because this is how you have made and redeemed people to be reflecting this um, interesting triune community of leaning on the other for the sake of the other to the glory of God the Father. We thank you for this text. We thank you for the examples of Paul, Timothy, and Epaphroditus. Um, Lord Jesus, give us a deep and abiding love for one another, compelled by the love that you have for us, that we have for you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.